Welcome to Legendary Upside Podcast. My name is Pat Corain. Today, I am joined by Daniel Raz and Kyle Dvorak, and we are talking about rankings, big board rankings for Underdog's Big Board Tournament. I did not want to be talking about 2024 season-long rankings uh, this early. We're recording this uh, on the Sunday before the Super Bowl. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it out on Monday to coincide with the launch of these rankings. But yeah, it's the Super Bowl is still a week away, and we're already talking about 2024. Uh, this is this is what Underdog has done to us this year. But didn't want to leave all the subscribers hanging. So got the rankings out there. We've been drafting off of them. We've been tweaking them. Feeling pretty good about uh, about the rankings. Had to do a ton of uh, condensed rookie research. We're going to dive into the rookies in a big way in this podcast to talk about where we have all of them ranked, some of our biggest stances, some of our biggest fades. But before we do that, guys, how you doing? Doing great. Nothing I'd rather do on February 4th than talk 2024 basketball. Gone are the days of betting on Pro Bowl DFS and just printing money and into the rest of power king. Rest and power king. Daniel, aren't you in like Europe or something? You're traveling and have graciously yeah. taken the time to again to yeah, degenerately well, talk about best ball. When I planned a weekend trip to the Netherlands and Amsterdam, the thing I really <laughs> want to do is just talk about 2024 best ball. So oh, no. be happier. <laughs> I didn't know you were in the Netherlands. Oh well, man. I have another day here, so life is good. Can't complain. <laughs> okay. Uh uh, Kyle, how you been? You're actually you're at least in your normal your normal apartment, right? I am in my normal apartment, though I did just get back from a trip to the mountains, so I'm not that far from Daniel, but it's impressive. Mid mid vacation, at least I ended mine immediately. I was like, all right, let's get back to gambling, folks. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we have these rankings, which I'll I'll pull up now. Um, and yeah, the the top guy on the list, Christian McCaffrey, not going to surprise anyone. And I would say in general. Uh, we are pretty close to ADP in this column here. You can see the difference from ADP. Um, not a ton of differences in the first round. This is how we played it in Best Ball Mania. And how I would generally prefer to play it um, because, you know, that you get kind of one opportunity to, to get these guys. And, you know, I think if you're having a portfolio approach to, to this tournament, or to any of these tournaments, it's nice to have exposure to all the first round guys, provided that it, it's at least somewhat efficient. And I think that it is like, I was honestly pleasantly surprised because I don't necessarily want to be taking huge stances in round one that my rankings aligned with like the first draft that I put together aligned with um, the ADP, like pretty nicely. So, I mean, you know, I guess you would expect that these are all the, the kind of clear top names here. Yeah, these are the easy ones. We kind of expect the market to get them relatively right. Our big stances, uh, they don't, you don't have to wait too long to get some big stances, but they don't come quite this early. Yep. Uh, I would say the first guy that I start to get a little bit queasy about is Kyron Williams. Uh, he is, we, we have him 1.3 picks behind ADP, which, you know, isn't crazy, but, um, as I said, we would kind of like to be with the market here. That's the first place we get off uh, with the market. And then the uh, Devon Achan, uh, we're bullish on. And I have them in the pure ranking. And as a reminder, or if you're unfamiliar with the rankings process, 
there's a, a pure ranking, which is not designed to be like the real ranking. I've had people ask, like, just give us the pure ranking. Like the pure ranking is designed to be cut with ADP and produce an actionable rank. Um, and occasionally the pure ranking is like, I'm doing, I'm in there doing stuff where I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna bump this guy up above this other guy because like I like him, but I know that it won't matter. And then Daniel and Kyle are like, why do we have this guy ranked so high? <laughs> um, so they're not like designed, they're truly not designed to be drafted. Yeah, the pure ranks are them. meant to work exclusively in tandem with formulas yes. we have to have it interact with the the market the, the way people are feeling. They're not they're not even how we truly feel about players in a sense. Cause like we know exactly the result that will happen when the it interacts with the market in the sense of like we have some respect for the market and we know how that interaction right. works when we're working within the spreadsheets. So like we're in our mind saying like, I know this number will produce this outcome and that's the outcome I, I roughly want. Right. Right. So anyway, so there's, we've got the kind of the pre-cut with ADP ranking in that ranking. Kyron Williams is at 13 and Achan is at 14 for me. Um, and that's actually how it spits out. So you guys are seeing the, uh, the res in this case, the ADP is not cutting it enough. Um, not enough. You're seeing it's not hiding what we have behind the scenes is what I'm trying to say. So this this is maybe the first spot where we're taking any kind of stand. We're a little bit behind on Kyron, a little bit ahead on Achan. You guys have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I remember that a few weeks ago in January we were talking about where we thought early ADP set up and how Kyron was probably projecting to be one of the easier fades with us thinking he'd be somewhere between seven and ten by ADP. And we thought, yeah, that's probably wrong. He should probably be closer to the one-two turn, but ideally an early second-round pick. And lo and behold, the market, to its credit, early by ADP at 11.7. It's barely rich, but to the point that I can't argue it much. Kyle, what do you think? Yeah, I'm probably fine. I don't I don't even know if I feel it's that rich. Like, Kyron graded out really well. Not elite, but really well in the rushing metrics. I think the thing that Pat's, uh, like, running back model is going to downgrade him in is his pass-catching work, which, like, yeah, he's not really a special pass catcher, and he doesn't see a ton of pass catching. He actually work. comes out as bad as a pass catcher, yeah. like yards per route run. You look at, you know, he's just, yeah. So that is a bit of a concern purely from a what can this guy do well. Mm -hmm. But from like a holistic sense, his role last year was, I mean, it was literally like in terms of expected fantasy points, it was just second to McCaffrey. He was that good in terms of how much he was used, whether it came from passing or rushing. Uh, like and, maybe, and like no one was challenging him for passing stuff. No one was challenging for passing stuff. No one was challenging for goal line work. They used him in an elite role at the goal line. And the offense was, honestly, the offense looked like better than it did in the Super Bowl run this past year. Like adding Puka and made it look significantly better, in my opinion. The big sweat is that if we see Stafford start to fall off again, which he appeared to do two years ago, even when Cup and him were healthy, he did not look great. Or the other threat would be, do they add a running back that can just take some work away? Because... He's not special. I think he's good between the tackles. And like you said, he's nothing really to write home about as a pass catcher. He was a good pass catcher in college, but like we have NFL data saying that maybe that's not so accurate. But the role as a whole is, uh, I mean, it's the second best in the NFL. It was last year at least. Yeah. The entire thesis with Kyron being a fine player in the best role, you'd ideally like to wait till after free agency in the draft to load up on that player. Because if the thesis is about the role and the, two places where his role can get severely threatened come in the next few months, 
and it's tough for me to see his ADP climbing more than to 10 or 11. I, I think there's almost no chance he jumps Gibbs or Robinson. It's probably a player I'd like to be a little lighter on pre-draft than my total portfolio because we'll either get some information that plausibly can only lower his ADP or keep it the same, but with the information that they didn't use significant capital to add competition. Yeah, that's a great point. Like if we were sitting here in August and you know they're resting Kyron with the starters, obviously, and you know, it's like there's really no one behind him, then I think we probably have him up from here a little. But there's a long way to go before then. And you know, this was a guy that was going undrafted in a lot of baseball leagues. Like he did get all the work and everything, and he is good, but I don't think he's like a special running back. I think he's kind of in that like Josh Jacobs style mold where he does everything pretty well. If you want to give this guy all the work, he's going to uh, you know, be an awesome fantasy asset. Mm-hmm. But there are reasons why you might not want to as an NFL franchise just like load this guy up with everything. I also think the thing with Kyron that concerns me even if this was August, is that like if Achan gets 12 touches, I'm like, awesome. That's what I signed up for. Mm -hmm. If Kyron gets 12 touches, I'm screwed. You know, sure, he can get there on touchdowns. He has such high touchdown equity. But like the scenarios where he's getting 12 touches, it's like I'm worried about what that means about his goal line work. Um I just think he's not, you know, you're not, you wouldn't have been screwed at his old ADP, but if you're drafting him at the one, two turn and he's getting like 12 touches, maybe because he had a hamstring thing and they're, you know, they're trying. So it's just like, he's, he's more fragile in the sense that like, because I think that this also goes to the receiving element because he's not like a special receiving player. There's not scenarios where like, they just kind of are mixing him in while he's like fighting through an injury like, you know, obviously McCaffrey is McCaffrey, but part of the reason why he's so awesome is that were he to be nursing something and be on the field for only half of his normal snaps, he'd still be a pretty awesome fantasy back because of that receiving ability. Um, So anyway, that's one reason I just get nervous about paying full price for Kyron. But with these rankings, you'll still get a fair amount of them. Mm-hmm. Do we want to go on to Devon Chan now and why we're – Pretty bold. Yeah. Yeah. Why why are we high on HM? Okay. I have one nice stat that I think illustrates just how special a rookie season we had. If we look at all rookie running backs since 2000 to record at least 5.5 yards per carry and 10 touchdowns. So pretty lofty. But then again, HM had 7.8 yards per carry. And if you were to look at seven, 6.5 yards per carry, you're not finding any historical. (laughs) There's no one one there. Because it has never been done, but 5.5 yards per carry, at least 10 total touchdowns. 2017, Alvin Kamara. 2007, Adrian Peterson. 2006, Maurice Jones-Drew. 2002, Clinton Portis. Pretty, pretty good, as Larry David would say. That's a group you would probably want to be in on at almost any ADP. And that feels like the player that if we're trying to then already think of 2025 ADP, could be a top three, five pick. Yeah, I mean, he's he's like a major candidate to be an early part of the first round pick in 2025. 
He's do, you so think he has a, do you think he has a decent path to like, like he can't, the thing is, can he see more than 12 carries? Like I do think he probably succeeds on 12 carries. We know like one, I was gonna say, we've seen him do it before in games. We also saw him not play a bunch of games as a rookie because of, you know, because of his workload as in that's what got him hurt. The touches are what eventually got him hurt. And guys who don't see the ball a lot tend to not, he would be, obviously he's going to be a historical outlier, but like, can he continue to be such a historical outlier in the one sense of being as efficient as he was, or in a different sense of let's assume he's not going to be the most efficient running back in the history of the NFL again, even if he is up there. If he doesn't do that, we probably need some more touches and there are almost no running backs as light as he is to ever see as many touches. Yeah. He's never going to be a workhorse and we're like Mike McDaniel to get fired. I would panic, but Hmm. you know, this is a, this is not a dynasty take. This is a a season long take and you know, McDaniel's pretty safe. um, So for this year. So yeah, I mean, I, I think if I'm like, Getting the 12 touches, 15 touches would be pretty sweet, but maybe we don't get quite there. Um, I do think that he can be extremely efficient because of the scheme, um, because of like he is he is super talented, even though he is lightweight. He's like a traditional running back and sort of skill set as well. He's not just like a scat back type. <laughs> um, so, you know, you also have the potential for them to add a back, which is a little concerning, but less concerning given that we're already kind of making a bet on the players not going to have a ton of touches. And then, um, you know, there's a chance that he's just sharing the backfield with, with Mostert as well. Who's like 30 going on 32, I think. Yes. Um, so yeah, it's definitely like, it's a weird pit. It's a, he's such a strange archetype. It's not, yeah. this is normally there, a guy he, that he's not an archetype as a thing. There's never, been he's a not an archetype. <laughs> There's never been a one. He's literally the most efficient like yards per carry back in the history of the NFL on hundred carries already. I believe, I think the only guys who have ever come close are like Michael Vick, Lamar Jackson type players. And in terms of like the fantasy bet since 2001 player at his weight has had 200 touches in a season, which is not a ton of touches. Uh, it was Warwick Dunn who did it like eight freaking times. He does so many times, but no one else has ever looked like him in good ways and in bad. And that makes it a really weird bet to place. But like, I, you know, I, I wrote him up. I, I was just writing about the the rookie class. And I was like, at the end of the day, if we know someone's like a superstar level talent, I'm willing to let a lot of the rest of the stuff figure itself out. And like, given how good he was as a rookie, like I'm pretty scared when I dropped 188 pound back in the first round, roughly in the first, he's just outside of the first round. But when he's that good, man, you can only be so scared. <laughs> Well put. Yeah, and I, I do think like this tournament, you know, is it's the same tournament we always talk about with the underdog stuff, where this is actually three out of twelve advance in round one, and then it's one out of ten, one out of ten through week fifteen and sixteen, and then it's a five hundred and fifty-eight person final, I think. So this is, I think, even like in a weird way, like more than than best ball mania. Because the final's bigger, it's easier to advance through all three rounds to get to the final. What are you drafting? You're drafting a week 17 single week lineup. That is what this tournament is. It's a single week that you're looking to score points in. You have to get there. You have to qualify to to have the chance for those points to matter. But 
Achan as a single week bet is, I think, extremely enticing. You know, because he can, because he is, it's like a robust bet. Like he can get there on limited touches if we're wrong and he gets more touches than any of us expect. Like, oh man, you know, and how do you, how do you feel? Like, I had Achan on some, on some week 17 uh, final rosters this year. He didn't, he didn't do much, but I felt really good heading into that week. And I would run that back, you know, like I want, I want a guy like Achan with his massive ceiling, the kind of like you had to have it, uh, you know, he can access that you had to have it kind of scoring. So that's, I think, one reason to be high on him as well. Let's go to some of the other, um, we can be a little bit more rapid fire, I would say, with some of these other stances. So um, we have three wide receivers that we are higher on than market. Uh, These guys all have ADPs within the top 40, but three guys that we're higher on. Rasheed Rice, we have a little bit of a stance on. Not massive, but we're 4.6 spots ahead of ADP on. We also have uh, Tank Dell, who we are, um, Tank Dell, we are nine spots ahead of ADP on. And then Jalen Waddle, we're also nine spots ahead of ADP on. And, and Keenan Allen as well. And Keenan Allen, that's another good one. We're 11 spots ahead of ADP on him as well. So thoughts on this group kind of in that like end of round two, round three range where we're we're taking a stance on these wide receivers. I feel really good about these, especially. Uh, so I was, I was, uh, you know, Rasheed Rice is really weird. He's actually kind of in the sort of way where we talk about Devon Achan. There are very few players that really look like Rasheed Rice did this past year. I think he had a 5.28 in the regular season. That was the lowest since Jarvis Landry, I think in 2014. Yet he had the second highest yards after the catch per reception that PFF has ever tracked. I think their data is like 17 years old now. He he doesn't really like a guy with a 5.2 ADOT doesn't look like a fantasy wide receiver one, but a guy who's elite after the catch. You and not only that, but like we also see some Zay Flowers sort of scheme stuff. We're like, wish we push the ball down the field more. But Rasheed Rice was elite efficiency wise too. He wasn't just compiling. He was elite efficiency, elite after the catch earned a very meaningful percent of his team's targets and he plays with Patrick Mahomes and he's entering a second year. Like we talk about a like, Oh, how, like how worried can you be when we know a is a superstar? I don't know if we know Rasheed Rice is a superstar, but we know relative to the talent on his team, he is so much better than every one of these guys. How worried can we be about his ADOT when he is a target hog for Patrick Mahomes? Like I'm just not going to be that worried. He has one red flag. He does not move the ball downfield. I'm willing to not write off that red flag, but I'm willing to say like, it's a red flag and a sea of other green flags. I'm going to generally go with the sea of green flags. The Rasheed Rice bet as well strikes me as like a classic year two breakout bet in a way that may seem off to hear that because like he kind of broke out as a rookie. But when you look at his first read targets per route, he was at 14% this past year. That's not high. You know, the guys like A.J. Brown and uh, some of the kind of the first read dominators, they're like up in the like 21, 22 percent range that that 14 percent range is like like Jerry Judy was at 15 percent. So it's not like it's not particularly impressive. It's not bad. 
and that's part of the reason that he was able to break out as a rookie is that he became a big enough piece of the offense um, in terms of like the play calling, right? But when you say that Rasheed Rice was earning a lot of targets, I think that he was literally earning those targets. Again, that, that's one reason why I think the ADOT was low is that like he's kind of that outlet guy for Mahomes as he's scrambling around looking for guys. Oh God, the, you know, the primary read hasn't gotten open. Travis it's been Kelsey, five essentially, seconds. MVS still isn't open. What do I do? What do I what do? What do I do? Here's Rasheed Rice. Or Travis Kelsey's getting doubled and he's not beating those doubles, whatever. Here's Rasheed Rice. So I think you were getting a fair amount of that from Rasheed Rice as a rookie. One thing that I look for is guys that are overperforming what you would expect based on their first reads. Because as long as they're getting sufficient first reads, sufficient targets, they're big enough piece of the team's offense to begin with, that's a spot in the next year teams are reviewing the tape and they're like, oh, maybe we should call plays with Rasheed Rice as the first read a little bit more often. That's a that's actually something I think that can boost for him. And maybe the end result is that he just kind of gets a similar role to what he had this year. But I think like he's he it's like it's not fragile. I think what he did as a rookie is not fragile. He can actually see an improvement in terms of how much the team is setting him up for targets. And he has the ability to earn targets from Mahomes, even when he's not the first read on the play. He plays with Patrick Mahomes. Like, this is a pretty safe bet, I think, uh, in the middle of the second round. Yeah, I echo all those sentiments. And sometimes it does feel weird chasing like projectable volume because everyone else is bad. But this is like the best situation to do that. And we have a very strong rookie year with the opportunity to get better as you just wonderfully articulated. And I think that the market will catch up. I think his ADP closes at anywhere from like 14 to 18 rather than towards the end of the second round. Uh, Tank Dell, Jalen Waddle, Keenan Allen were the other guys that we mentioned here. Waddle, I'll briefly say, just go look at his efficiency. <laughs> I, know, I know it's gonna, I know it sucked. Last year, I know it's gonna suck this year when Tyree Kill takes all the targets, but eventually, like this guy's good, and contingent value is actually, I think, a thing here as well to consider. Like, if Hill were to miss time, like Waddle could absolutely smash. Um, but also, like he's a really good receiver. He's in a good offense that values him. The quarterback play is sufficiently good. I think the single week ceiling is there. We kind of ran bad. We're going back to the well. Yeah. Um, yeah. As Sam Sherman said, Waddle probably led the league last year in games where he had some mysterious first half ailment that caused him to miss between one and three quarters of games. And I think that that's something like if you're testing, you're probably unlikely to assume that to be highly correlated in a player year over year. And it's probably more variance run bad. I think that the reasons Waddle underperformed last year don't justify an ADP in the fourth round this year for such a talented player in a friendly offense with extreme contingent upside. And it shocks me that the market has that one so wrong. It's rare that I think that they're just absolutely wrong. And I think that they're at least a round off on his ADP. I think they are at least a round off as well. We actually, we have a cap on how much we can kind of jump above the ADP. <laughs> Waddle is comfortably being hemmed in by that cap. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would honestly take Waddle a few picks behind where I took him last year. I think he, like, he from the player 
showed us extreme efficiency again. So I'm not like, I know the results weren't there fantasy points per game and all that, but you got a young wide receiver who's like continually flashing in efficiency. Uh, I'm going to keep betting on that player. Um, Tank Dell, Keenan Allen, any thoughts there? Now these ones feel like more obvious. Like, you know, turns out Tank Dell was really good last year and his quarterback's really good. And it's he's at worst the number two receiver on his team. Like they just don't have a ton of other competition for targets. And he showed an extreme ability to earn targets. He also beat the allegations he had in college, which is like, this guy is just so small. I'm not sure he can do it. He won as an intermediate to deep receiver on the outside as soon as he stepped into the NFL. Like silenced any doubts we had on what his profile would translate to. Keenan Allen uh, scores a lot of fantasy points. As it turns out, he scores way more than wide receiver, 18 of fantasy points. Not only show no signs of slowing last year, like by some metrics, his best season. He's just still really freaking good. Yep. Yeah. Um, On the Allen front, we had a decent conversation just looking at his contract and thinking what is the likelihood he gets cut? Because if Keenan is not a charger, the ADP of 38.7 makes more sense. And he would obviously be lower than that. But we came to the conclusion that it's extremely unlikely they have cuttable players in Mike Williams at the exact same position, who's not young in the tooth, coming off a torn ACL, and a worse player. And they have cuttable defensive players, Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, and oh, one of the Kendricks brothers, the one that didn't do insider trading, I believe. <laughs> and Eric. Yeah. That's true. Eric was not involved in insider trading. Yeah. So Keenan Allen... If you were told he is a charger, he should probably be close to the 2-3 turn, which is how we're trying to play him and hoping that in the 95% of outcomes where he remains on the chargers, which he said at the Pro Bowl, I have no plans on leaving, which is something that you'd ideally like to hear from your players about whether they'll be cut. Yeah, and we, we looked at the contract. He's he's due $18 million plus five, a $5 million roster bonus, which, you know, so that's 23 mil. He's worth that. It's possible that they try to get him to take a pay cut or something. And maybe he's willing to, which is why he's saying I'm not going anywhere. I don't know. But also, like, if he played hardball, like, they they probably need to back down because they cannot go into this season with Mike Williams coming off an ACL and Quentin Johnston and whatever else they they draft. But, yeah, the connection with Herbert is is so awesome. So uh, I was a little bit nervous about him, but you guys – kind of talked me off uh, that concern a little bit. Uh, Cooper Cup, Amari Cooper, or and uh, actually Terry McLaurin and DeAndre Hopkins are guys that we're higher on here. Not like the typical thing for us, I would say, like the kind of the maybe dusty vet group, and we're higher on all of them, All you know, all the guys I just mentioned. Cup were 10 spots higher on, Cooper 9. Um who did I say? Oh, McLaurin, 7.5. Yeah. I think maybe with uh, the exception of McLaurin, all these guys like balled out as wide receiver ones Hopkins last year. Like DeAndre Hopkins dominated the targets. I get he didn't have a lot of competition, but his team still clearly viewed him as like, oh, this guy is the only player we should ever throw the football to. Cooper Cup, he was at worst a one, like one B sounds like, oh, he's the, maybe the second receiver. He, his numbers are that of a number one or any other team. They throw the ball to two players. He's one of the two. And Amari Cooper, like true stud number one receiver. They all have their warts, but sort of like Keenan Allen, they showed us no reason not to believe in them as, as talents. Like 
once they start getting older, you understandably say like, oh, well, if there's a reason to think maybe the cliff is coming, I'm totally willing to get out a year early. I, I haven't seen that with really any of these guys. Like maybe you could say the fact that someone else emerged in Cooper Cup's absence and then stuck when he was back is a reason to be a little skeptical, but like the market is very skeptical. Yeah. Yeah, I think Hopkins is the one that I am like sort of the most surprised at how low he is. Um, like he was pretty good last year and they just brought in a, a, a new head coach who's going to be, I think, much more aggressive in how much they pass. So, and like <clears throat> Burks heading into last year is like, well, Burks might be a competition. Well, Burks bombed. <laughs> you know, they don't have anybody else there. And he spent the entire year dominating targets, including from Will Levis. So I don't know. I mean, Hopkins is not someone you feel like is going to absolutely smash and be like, you know, but as part of assembling a, a portfolio of, of bets where you're, you're getting enough correct, he's sort of an easy one at this ADP to me, where it's like, I'm going to have, you're kind of getting like a fifth round value, but he goes, you know, he's going to pick 82. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm a little surprised that there's not more interest in a guy who, and honestly, maybe this is just the time of year. Like he's going to project really well, but we don't yeah. really have, this isn't projection season. But hmm. when we get to May and June, when there's actually really good projections out, I mean, Hopkins is going to project awesome. Mm-hmm. Almost no matter how they play the off season, because you're getting that boost in terms of overall passing attempts that will help uh, alleviate any concerns about additional target, uh, you know, target competition, unless they like sign like a really big name guy. Yeah, and on Hopkins, I think a really nice comp is Mike Evans from last year, where every possible red flag was not about the talent of the player, and when we're almost certainly confident in the talent of the player in the seventh at the seven eight turn at this point, that's an outrageous ADP in their new head coach, Brian Callahan's opening press conference when he was asked about translating what he did with Burrow and the Bengals offense. He said, well, we did that because it worked within the context of that offense. So it seems like at least he's saying the right things about maximizing the talent he has rather than having one archaic system that he'll force his new pieces into, which is something you always like to hear. And I mean, DeAndre Hopkins going behind Jackson Smith and Jigba at this point in time by... 25 picks if my math is correct when we do projections if anyone projects jsn to outproduce mm-hmm. deandre hopkins they probably should stop being in the business of projections and again projections aren't the only reason to play this game and a lot of our edges i think towards the end divorced from we're generally projection. a fake projections crew but mm-hmm. that's because the market usually bakes in projections in a major way and then we're kind of going more to the talent but here you're getting to bet on the talent because the projections aren't baked in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. DeAndre um, Hopkins, I don't know where our pure rank is, but he's probably one of the top five within the top 100 players where we think the market is woefully incorrect. Yeah. <clears throat> I would say, yeah, the top non-rookies, I think Hopkins is the number two guy that we uh, – in terms of like the ADP value, not the raw number of spots, but the ADP value that we're off, that we think the market is off on, he's the second uh, 
we're, we're kind of the biggest, second biggest stance on Hopkins of all players. Um, one thing I just want to note is that as you go through, you may see a fair amount of quarterbacks that we're ahead of market on. I think that's kind of a structural thing here where quarterback is a position you need to take care of um, or you're going to be hurting. You know, if it, there's not a ton of guys that you feel really good about late in the draft um, because there's real job security issues for a number of guys who are going to project as starters or probably start, but we're not sure. So there's there's not like a ton of quarterback. There's not 32 quarterbacks worth taking. Um, as you can see here, we've got Will Levis at quarterback 29. Bo Nix is quarterback 30. Uh, we'll get to the rookies, but that's that's it. I, we only have th uh, 32 quarterback uh, ranked in total in the top 240. And there, you just get to the spot where like the job security for the end of the season, which again is what we're playing for, is so bad that I'm not even sure these guys are worth taking. Like Bryce Young, we have a quarterback 28 ahead of ADP because he's not going to get benched. Like that's it's like, <laughs> hey, I know he's starting, so something, <laughs> you know. But this is the same way you would have taken Kenny Pickett last year because it's like he's unlikely to get benched. Of course, he didn't play at the yeah, end of the yeah. year, but you know, <laughs> yeah, the Mason um, Rudolph playoff. Mason Rudolph, yeah. But you know, we got Geno Smith below ADP because I think there's legitimate risk of them uh, drafting a quarterback and then that quarterback, you know, not maybe even first round, but they're not tied to him after this year, so he could get benched for the last two or three games. That's a catastrophe, right? So yeah, that's the, the way we're thinking through quarterback. Baker Mayfield, I think, is maybe a little riskier for the end of the season than it might feel like right now, depending on how yeah. they play it in the draft. Yeah, once so, we anyway, get contract information with Tampa, that'll be a big clue on Baker. Like if they give him that's a true. Three -year, the Geno contract of last year, which I don't think is out of the realm of possibilities, then you'll feel good just like last year. We thought there was we would move him up if he gets that contract for sure. But we'd love to know those contracts before we make the decision and the market's allowing us to do that. And we can sort of take the players where we have the information available earlier. Yep. yep. So in general, I don't think we need to get too much into the specifics of quarterback, but kind of in the range of guys who there's, there's some exceptions, but generally we're going to be kind of higher uh, in like the quarterback window. Sean Siegel's kind of traditional quarterback window where we're generally higher on the quarterbacks there. Um, let's talk some of these other stances. Let's talk tight end a little bit. Mark Andrews, we're ahead of ADP on. George Kittle, Trey McBride, Dalton Kincaid. Uh, we're ahead of ADP on all of those those veterans. Thoughts on any of those guys? No, I think, I think we, we nailed it. We nailed it. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I think That's we've it. preached before the importance of difference-making weekly production because, again, you're not trying to win the first 14 weeks. You're trying to advance the team through the satellite structure into week 17 and you want guys that are meaningfully more capable of producing 20 plus point games if that's just your arbitrary number so we want to be probably as a general rule slightly overweight on that cohort and i think we're doing that i think mcbride's one that's adp is going to rise as a young player there will be some cardinals hype especially if they get marvin harrison as just an offense you want to be in on that's interesting because like getting Marvin Harrison is sort of one of the risks with McBride that he's not going to be a target dominator, but 
I kind of agree that if they get Harrison, all of a sudden people are going to be excited about the Cardinals. <laughs> and yeah, maybe his ADP rises. Yeah, they take Marvin, Marvin mid-second, maybe. Uh -huh. You've convinced me that that's how the market would react. And then you're looking at like fifth, mid-fifth round McBride feels pretty reasonable for how great he was at the end of last year. Um, I mean, with how good he was, I'm not too concerned of him fading away, even with another awesome player. And that's just making, I think, the market, I think, mostly rightfully bullish on that offense. I've got one I'll throw out. Uh, we didn't mention it beforehand that uh, Kittle, excluding his rookie season, his worst season in yards per outrun was two years ago. His second worst was last year. His worst was three years ago. Like, maybe we're a little bit tied up on how good he was in 20. 18, 19, 20, he was a lot better those years. And not to say he's not great right now, but like aging tight end whose worst years he, have he is all is 2.12 come... yards per hour right now. Yeah, that's his worst. That's like his second worst year recently. Okay, but that's really no, good. That's, I mean, it's a testament. To, yeah, it was like top five. I think it was like third or something. Tied, like it was tied with McBride. But aging receiver who didn't earn quite the same target share we've seen in years past. Aging receiver, aging tight end who like... I don't want to say he's dropped off, but like compared to early season or early career, George Kittle, he's not the same player. He's just, that's somewhat a testament to how good he used to be. He's not that guy anymore. I think I would, I think I'd take McBride and maybe Kincaid over him. I'm arguing to move him like three or four spots. Down, yeah. But I'd yeah. Throw that one out there. I, you yeah. know what? I was on the clock and I drafted and I, I ended up taking McBride over I him. Would and we can still be eight. Cause like you said, Kittle was really good last year. He's like a top five tight end. But like there was a time in my life where I was like, I'm gonna be a contrarian and say he's better than Travis Kelsey when Kelsey is putting up historic numbers. Uh Kelsey's also fallen off, but I don't feel like I need to be as high as we are on him, and we can still be above ADP. That's that's my only quibble here. See, yeah. the thing is for me, I wanna be in on Kittle, especially if I have 49er stuff. I, he's a priority for me then. But um I did just flip McBride over him. I think one of the things that's really nice about McBride is that with these elite tight ends, sometimes you're like Kittle would be kind of the the poster boy for this, is that you're you're just hoping you get that major spike week. And if you do, like holy crap, like that's gonna it's gonna like single-handedly advance the team through one of the, the single weeks or potentially win you the final. Um, but McBride still has a really nice ceiling. And he's, if he, you know, if he's at all doing the target domination thing that he was last year, he's also just hitting your lineup really, really consistently. And so yeah, that's he allows the thing with guys you... who see the ball a lot is they hit your lineup a lot, but they also have the chance to go for twelve catches. Like, vo like volume is both a ceiling and a floor metric essentially. And he's a really good volume earner. Yeah, the yeah. one. Um, more pro Kittle argument I'd make with the Niners is eventually I don't know if they're going to look at moving Ayuk now, but I believe he just played. He has his fifth year option left and nothing else after, and it's I guess possible they look to tag him after. But if a team offers them a first round pick and this offseason, which I think is like a five percent to ten percent outcome where they get that and make the trade, but in that world Kittle becomes infinitely more valuable as he does during a regular season with the contingent uh, injury to either Debo and Ayuk. So I think that's like one feather in Kittle's cap until we get to the NFL draft. Yeah. And another reason to just always be looking to bet on talent, right? Because Kittle is 
He's super talented. Maybe he's falling off a little, but um, when guys are super talented, the the path is robust. You know, um, Brees Hall, right? Like we we bet on Brees Hall in a big way. Rogers tears his Achilles week one, and he still gets there because he's super super talented. You have to be right about the talent evaluation, but like bad players don't overcome that. Superstars overcome that. And so with Kittle, if you think he still is a superstar at the tight end position, you know, if Debo were to miss some time at the end of next year, if something happened with Ayuk, I think he's there. But, you know, if something were to happen um, that open up additional targets, uh, if the defense takes a big step back and they just have to pass a lot more, right, there's sort of like kind of the chaos kind of, kind of works in your favor in some ways um, when you have a really talented player. Uh by the way, the, the Sortino ratio concept is kind of what I was referring to a little bit with McBride. Um, the the concept that Sacrilegious laid out in a recent article on Legendary Upside. If you're unfamiliar with what I'm talking about, I'd recommend checking out his article uh, where he laid out this new uh, floor ceiling combo metric. I'm going to share a chart here. Interestingly, George Kittle's Sortino ratio was actually a bit higher than McBride's, but uh, McBride, I, I took a major step forward. I was going to say it's probably because the first six weeks of the season, McBride was a part-time player or whatever. Yeah, that's that's got to be it. I would actually be curious what his was just down the back half, but um, yeah, he, he's kind of when you get these guys who are in this range, you're getting guys that are hitting your lineup every week. Laporta, um, you know, Hawkinson before the injury, like they were they were hitting your lineup very consistently but then they're also giving you the access to ceiling. So I think it is really nice to have that. And I think McBride is definitely a, a better bet than Kittle for that. And just a really good bet in general. Um, all right. Any other, let's see, any other big, big stances we should cover? Do you guys have any thoughts on Andrews as I pull up some other stances that we have? Feels nah, like the market. He's still pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Good player. <laughs> he's still pretty good. He's still pretty good. <laughs> Rarely want to be underweight players when I'm that confident in the talent eval, but I don't think I'm going to be meaningfully different than the market this year. A couple guys that I'll note um, is, is players that I'm really targeting in drafts. Um, Jaleel McLaughlin is one that I'm really interested in getting. You know, he's he's got an ADP of 163. Um, I think he he's more of like an early double digits, digits round type of value. I think he's going to be pretty clearly the number two there. Um, I think he's good. I'm not sure that the guy ahead of him is that good. So, uh, you know, Javante's fine, but I, you know, could Jaleel take that job by the end of the year? I think he could. So I don't know. This, this one kind of feels like a layup to me. I've been kind of hammering Jaleel McLaughlin as a, like that RB4, RB5 type of pick as I'm filling out my, uh, you know, usually hero running back or zero running back rooms. Um, any thoughts on him? Yeah. This yeah. Are you just, are you, uh, do you think like P. Ryan's cut? Because unfortunately, P. Ryan graded really well in like yards per outrun, even though it's not the most exciting pick. I think that's the only concerns that they're just going to continue running this three man backfield. But Jaleel's really good. I, I don't. I don't want to say he's better than Javante, but like, 
it seems very possible that he's better than Javante. Last year, Jaleel was 13th in PFF rushing grade, 8th in yards after contact per carry, 3rd in PFF receiving grade, and 6th in yards per route run. Like, he checks all the boxes for a good playmaker running back. And maybe Javante comes back another year removed from the injury and starts to look like the player we thought he was. But right now, I, I don't know if he's that player. Samaje is a very serviceable, good pass catcher out of the backfield, but he doesn't offer anything between tackles. I think Jaleel's a really good pick. But Yeah, this reminds me a lot of our conversations around a different former undrafted running back of the Pittsburgh Steelers where we didn't oh love their starter. Okay. All before. right. I'm checking the Samaje Pirine contract first because that is an impediment that Jalen They can Warren, save three mil by cutting him. Yeah, I would be shocked if Pirine was back on that contract given McLaughlin's emergence, but maybe they rework something. But it feels really wrong that you can take possibly the best running back on a backfield at pick 164. And even if the Pirine impediment is there, he should probably be a 12th round pick. And if the Pirine impediment is removed via a cut. It's probably close to a coin flip and saving $3 million, which is pretty meaningful at, at such a low money position like running back. So I would like slap the Kramer buy, buy, buy on Jaleel at this price. Yeah. And we talked about the pure rank, not always being like the, the real rank. That's because like, there's not a reason to take Jaleel McLaughlin when he's a pick 163. Uh, you know, where we would actually like have him ranked, but I will share that we, the, the pure rank on him is pick 114. So we basically think he's a 10th round pick. Um, I mean, that feels like very reasonable to me. He's a really good second year running back. Well, I mean, maybe, maybe we don't know for sure he's really good, but he flashed some really, really good stuff. They seem to like him. The guys ahead of him, are one a cut candidate who's not very good. I mean, he's fine. So much appearance fine, but he's a cut candidate. And uh Javante Williams, who was, I would say, like always we were like hoping he would kind of emerge as you know a star, but he's never flashed star level efficiency. He's a great tackle breaker, but they didn't use him a ton around the goal line last year, weirdly. Um coming off that knee injury, maybe he shows more this coming year. I hope he does, but you know, this is one of those backfields is actually pretty up in the air. So, you know, I don't, I'm not saying take Julian McLaughlin in the, in the 10th round, it comes out here at pick 140. That is where I would actually take him. So yeah, I feel like a lot of times when we get these quote ambiguous backfields, my general take is like, unless there's some player who's way more talented, than the other players, let's just assume the market is overvaluing how random these running back touches can be. And that's probably true. Most of the times, here, we can also take a bet on talent while also betting on the chaos of an NFL season. We're yeah. going to compound these bets. They're typically good ones. We want to bet on good players, obviously. But we know that running back is such a fickle position that just a tweaked ankle from Javante can mean Jaleel breaks out. Like We get to make a lot of those bets at once for a way too cheap price, frankly. Yep. Um, Izzy Abanacanda is one that has... I, I, I kind of keep seeing him in my rankings and I've actually raised him up as I was drafting on these. It's just like, man, I kind of like, I like his chances of being the clear number two um, behind Brees. You know, I like him a lot better than like Tank Bigsby. Uh, you know, those guys like Tank Bigsby, I'm not sure. Like he he kind of lost, like he entered last year as the clear number two and then like lost out. Whereas Izzy was 
buried and then kind of became the clear number two. They cut Michael Carter. They cut Dalvin Cook. Like, he looked good. He was get there was times where he was getting used. Um, right in week 17, I think they were they were putting in Izzy at the end when the game was over. And it's like, this is nice. I'm, I'm happy to finally see some of this guy I touted. And then before he mm-hmm. you know, became a zero. But I really need more Breeze. So let's <laughs> can we get Breeze back out there. But I think they're, you know, he's he kind of earned that role. Obviously, they could bring someone in, but there's a lot of uncertainty in a number of these backfields. And uh, I actually feel fairly good about his chances of holding that number two spot. The other guy, uh, he's kind of a fun young guy. Miles Sanders is a really gross version of this. But we are higher than ADP on Miles Sanders <laughs> as, as Daniel winces at his name. But his contract keeps him yeah. uh, on the team. So we're 34 spots ahead on Miles Sanders. But I think a pretty clear number two. And you're hoping for a better offense, better coaching. Bryce Young doesn't look like an absolute disaster in a second year. Um, and you get the contingent value with Miles Sanders. Weirdly, I think suddenly and actually a decent pick as Chuba Hubbard yeah. now rightfully going well ahead of him. Yeah, a lot of the thesis around Hubbard last year was just the contingent upside if the starter went down. You just have to reverse the names, but the proposition stays the same with Sanders. And again, it's not fun, but you know that he is like a human on their roster come week one. <laughs> That's probably the case. But like in these pre-draft contests, you're re- avoiding dead yeah. roster spots can be huge. If I had 34% AT Perry last year <laughs> and like he actually did stuff in the final two weeks. I think he had a big touchdown week 17 or 18. The last none of my teams made it there, but getting guys that have a role that you're nearly certain in is valuable. And Miles Sanders, as much as it like pains me to say, back up on the Panthers and the zero RB candidate that we never thought we'd have. A couple other guys to mention on the uh, stances here, Josh Downs. We are uh, substantially ahead of ADP on Josh Downs. I'm a little bit, I don't quite understand the market on this one. With Josh Downs versus Michael Pittman, I think uh, Downs like kind of ate into Pittman's role a little bit. It kind of towards the end of the season, it started to shift back towards Pittman. But Downs was a rookie and I think had a pretty impressive rookie season. He also um, obliterated his knee in the middle of the season, uh, an injury that supposedly happened in either training camp or maybe even earlier than that. I remember he had a week of full DMPs and they're like, buddy, you are still playing. And he didn't play many snaps, but like, from that day onward, his numbers plummeted. He was always on the injury report. Mm. His route rate was never the same. And like logically flows that if you're like physically unable to practice and your team still throws you out there and you're barely barely able to play, I'm going to guess he was not right for the rest of his regular season. Before that, he had an elite rookie season going. So like, obviously, I don't want to just completely throw out the data uh, of the second half of the season. Say like, I know what happened. I can write it all off. We don't. The logic flows that I I want to discount his fall off in the second half of the season and give him a little more credit for the first half of the season in which he was he was truly elite. I think in his, his first eight weeks he had forty catches, four hundred and seventy three yards, two touchdowns. Like think about if he had gone uh, eighty for like a thousand or eighty five for a thousand and a few scores. Like we would be putting him way up the ranks. We'd be saying like, is he a breakout wide receiver two candidate? 
which I think he is. Like, so I, I yeah. So, I mean, he, the other thing about Downs is he was a, the type of prospect that was tough because he did check a lot of boxes, you know, like early declare, breakout, um, but he's small and he's like a kind of more of a slot guy. So it's like, what's the upside? But we do need to consider that he did, he was actually like a sneaky, a sneaky, strong prospect. The draft capital wasn't ideal, but then he earns a role right away. He impresses. Um, these are what breakouts generally look like, you know. I know he doesn't he doesn't have the size that we're looking for. He didn't he didn't finish off the rookie season the way we would have liked, but I don't know. I, I'm I'm pretty into Josh Downs. He would have to move up a lot before we would uh we'd stop being high on him. And then Michael Pittman we'll get to, but you know, I think it's I just want to play it through downs right now. If you're feeling like I don't want to be out on the Colts uh offense. Well, Richardson were slightly ahead of ADP on, and then Downs would be the the way to pair it. I think, just given the prices. Um, last last guy on the stances, I will note we are still way above market on Jalen Warren because that's just going to be the way it goes until they finally let Najee Harris walk after his rookie deal expires, mm-hmm. um, and, then, and then maybe we'll be even with ADP when people are drafting him as a, you know a fourth round type running back or something. Um, but yeah, we're still high on Jalen Warren. We are not fading Najee um, in a big way. Uh, we're actually 1.6 spots ahead of ADP on Najee here. I mean, this is kind of like we actually would have had him ranked above this or did have him ranked above this last year, but this feels much more in line with what you're getting from Najee Harris. So I think, yeah, Great. If he's going to go here, he's actually like a pretty good pick, um, or at least a very, very defensible pick. Um, but Jalen Warren will st- we're still high on. Brian Robinson Jr., I'll also note, uh, is the guy that I keep getting sucked in by a really efficient yards per route run. Kyle says uh, he didn't run many routes. It's a fluke. He's a jag. Uh, so far, I'm uh, refusing to, <laughs> to budge. <laughs> but I I, did I, I get have, you to move him down at any point? I was say, I, I thought yeah, I you have. I've moved him down some. Yeah, I, I like the range we have him in. I, I don't think he's a bad pick. Like, just a guy isn't like that's kind of a compliment. Like, there are a lot of guys who aren't even guys, and he's definitely like a top 25-ish between the tackles talent. He's never really been a good receiver, but last year, legitimately on a relatively small sample of routes, did flash a lot. I don't I don't think that's gonna be sticky in the end for his career, but like it's not a bad bet to make given that like you know, it was terrible last year. Tony Pollard, you know, who couldn't run, uh, who couldn't earn yards on a route to save his life? Najee Harris. Like, you know, who could easily be replaced? Tajay Spears. Like, there are picks around him that have glaring flaws. Yeah. His glaring flaws that, like, what if his good stuff isn't sticky? Which is not, that's not a bad flaw to have, frankly. Yeah. And he also has boosts coming his way. You know, Drake May likely going to be the quarterback that lands with, with the commanders. I think he's a really strong prospect. Um and should be a, a big boost to the offense. He's on a rookie deal, so you know his status with the team is pretty set. Anthony uh, Antonio Gibson is a free agent. That's in some ways bad, you know, because maybe they bring in another running back. But I think it's also possible they stick with Chris Rodriguez as the number two, and yep. if and he could have a whole backfield to himself. So I think there's scenarios where Robinson ends up going in like the fifth round. And we have like none of him. 
Yeah, classic dead zone pick. We're completely out. One of our biggest fade stances in best ball mania. But let's draft him now. And, you mm-hmm. know, that's kind of my that's kind of my thoughts. Um, yeah. Then looping back to Pittsburgh quickly, I think yeah. we identified this. I mean, if you want any coach to come in there and just have a muddied water backfield, boy, Arthur Smith as offensive coordinator does a great job in terms of being. It's gonna be tough to predict who gets the work, but we're going to be reasonably confident that there's a very large pie of attempts devoted to the Pittsburgh running back room. And as long as like Godwin Igboeki isn't getting the goal line carries, he will, you know, he will. One of Najee or Warren has the chance for such a meaningfully outsized positive outcome, especially if there's an injury to the other. And boy, it would be fun if it were Jalen Warren, but I think it's decently <laughs> likely it's Najee Harris as well. And I do too. you can get a decent, share of both and have overweight positions and just say one of these could be a big win while the other is a small loss or they're both small wins. I think it's tough for both to fail at the seven, eight turn in the zero RB target area. Yeah. Yeah. They're both, it's exactly the range where they, you know, they make sense. And I think you want, you want to be taking both, um, which feels weird as someone who's, you know, been pretty out on Najee since he, since I basically learned of him. I was like, I'm not really that into this guy. But uh, yeah, now I think he's actually pretty well priced. Um, let's go to some of the fades. Let's start with a guy that we were really high on last year, burned us, Jonathan Taylor. Um, we're now pretty far behind ADP on Jonathan Taylor. 9.3 spots behind ADP. Uh are kind of one big stand. We're a bit behind on Nico Collins. We're playing that more through Tank Dell. I do want to have some Nico, but um, you know, currently one of our a fade. We can talk about him more in a minute. But Jonathan Taylor, um, we are pretty far behind on. We got him at pick twenty four. He's going at pick fifteen. Thoughts on him. I don't want to trash Jonathan Taylor. Cause like I do, I do <laughs> you guys, you guys just said no, basically there's just five seconds of silence. That's like, why we're low on Jonathan Taylor. I uh, think no, we're not going on the record. I, I, I want to be, I, I'm not, I'm not going on the record with this conversation. I do want to be <laughs> in on him, but like it's been three years since he's been what we think of as Jonathan Taylor and in a running backs career, as the NFL has literally told us through their spending of their capital, that's a lifetime. Like, if we didn't have such fond memories of him previously, we'd be saying like, oh, you know, his, his best season by far, like he hasn't even been close to where he was in 2021. Best season by, by far came three years ago, both as a receiver and as a obviously between the tackles runner. That's just a profile we've generally been very profitable in fading. I do think he could he could still burn us. And but like it's it's like the Adam Thielen bet, like a most of the time when you talk about a guy who is past his prime, his efficiency numbers have dropped. And for running back, that happens so quickly. At receiver, it tends to happen a little bit older. They look like Allen Robinson, right? They don't look like Adam Thielen. That's a profitable bet. I could see a scenario in which Taylor buries me, but he would have to reclaim the the sort of talent and efficiency of a player that has been a few years removed from us. Yeah, and also the role is a little fragile with if Anthony Richardson's healthy, and even if the offense is good, a large portion of the goal line carries will go to Richardson. The receiving upload, the receiving upside will be capped with such a mobile quarterback. So I think it's a bet 
that I don't necessarily want to fade, but when the market puts that running back in the top 15, it's really tough to pull the trigger when it's tough to envision the legendary upside of that player. And I'd rather take, you know, one of the early second round wide receivers and a six through eight round running back than take the Jonathan Taylor and then have to wish cast a Jackson Smith and Jake Burley. The last year comparable that Pat gave was you take Tony Pollard in early round two, and then you were taking Rashad Bateman or Traylon Burks, or even in a better outcome, Zay Flowers. But it's still tough to win that 2v2 when you're hitting on the wide receiver at the same place and then really nailing the running back. Yeah, this is one of the reasons that zero running back had such a strong year last year is that the 2v2s, like, you know, it doesn't it doesn't really matter if the running back outscores the wide receiver because you need more wide receivers in this format than running backs. And if you can get a wide receiver who's also, you know, in a lot of cases was outscoring the running, you know, if Tony Pollard wasn't scoring that great. Um, but then you go and you get a seventh round running back who's going to outscore Jahan Dotson by a lot of points, you know, or or whoever else, or Bateman or Burks, right? Guys that we were really high on um, because of me. Um, th- those running backs, you know, it's like Rashad White versus Traylon Burks. Oof, you know, <laughs> wait, oh, you were on the Burks side? That's not good. Um, and then you can pair that with the wide receiver scoring early. Um, you know, and maybe Olave kind of turns in a similar season. We don't feel that great about Olave, you know. But if you're pairing that structurally with a running back hit in the seventh round, it's pretty powerful. And it's more powerful than pairing Taylor with that running back hit, probably, unless you unless you structure the team very specifically, um, which you can do, obviously. There are ways to, to draft a running back early and, and build really, really strong teams. But that's kind of generally, I think, one reason to – to be a little bit out on Taylor. I I think, you know, a lot of the red flags that we would talk about with Taylor would be things that we would talk about last year as well. But I think the issue is that like heading into last year, you know, yeah, we had some of the same red flags, but we didn't have him turn in another poor yards per hour run season. He was at 0.86 last year. Um, He was outplayed by Zach Moss for most of the year. You know, we had Anthony Richardson look just as inaccurate as we were worried he would be um, and kind of be reliant on rushing in a way that we assumed he would be. But then we got confirmation. Um, So it's like all the red flags feel like more locked in. And I feel less confident about Taylor in terms of the his ability to kind of overcome the situation. Uh, I feel more worried about his receiving because he early in his career, he was actually fairly efficient. Now we have two really inefficient seasons of receiving. So, and why is his price rising? His price actually higher than it was um, like, maybe not in the big board, maybe in the big board, he was going around this pick, but he was, you know, even before the contract stuff, he was late second round last year. I think he was, he opened in the first round last year. And I think for the big board was a first round pick then was okay. one two turn and kept falling kept falling and then before the contract stuff he was a mid second round pick and again we have more information to the negative than we do to the affirmative and his price has went up even slightly i think it's wrong i think that eventually the market will come towards us on this that's a pretty strong position 
that I have. So I would feel comfortable waiting on Taylor and eventually getting him closer to the two, three turn. If you want to get even. Let's go to, let's see. Um, another big fade position that we have. So we actually, I mean, I guess this is pretty on brand. We're pretty low on a bunch of running backs. Um, I'll just rapid fire. Some of these running backs, Travis Etienne, we're, we're quite a bit lower on. Um, Isaiah Pacheco, Rashad White, Saquon Barkley, we're extremely low on. Um, let's let's stop there and talk those guys because that's kind of your, your dead zone running backs. But not all these guys are even going in the dead zone. Barkley is uh, here at pick 21.6. Uh, we have him at pick 32. Pacheco, we're 12 spots behind ADP on. ETN, we're 12 spots behind ADP on. Uh, Rashad White, we're 12 spots behind ADP on. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just think these guys, I, they do kind of feel like the classic dead zone guys, where it's like we're not, we're we're either not that confident about the receiving ability, like Pacheco. Uh, White, we think probably is. I don't think anyone would say he's like a good rusher. Uh, he's a pretty good receiver, but God, you're really praying status quo. Uh, you know, maintains there. Etn, I think, really shows a lot of red flags last year in, in both receiving efficiency and rushing efficiency. Got there on on some touchdown uh, efficiency, which is like the thing I want to bet on the least. The offense, I feel a little bit shakier on. Um, I, I, it feels weird to be like this low on ETN, given that he at one point looked like one of the biggest hits of 2023, but I don't know. Pick 31 just feels very bullish for a guy where I'm like, I don't really see the path to like a legendary season for him. Um, and then Saquon, I just like fully do not understand. Uh, he yeah. is a free agent. He's hasn't been like that good in years. And he's he's good, but he's not like a superstar level talent. Like, I mean, the efficiency it does not back back that up at all um, since basically his rookie year. Um, and who knows where he's going to be? And even if he's on the Giants, maybe he doesn't get the massive workload. Yeah, I was going to say if he's on the Giants, that's probably a negative because the best case you're looking at, you know, the season from before where it's fine efficiency on so much volume. But if you're praying for the volume that's a very thin bet it feels like an adp of two three years prior where it's that wrong you know if he hits free agency and saquon has been very adamant he wants to be a giant i don't think that feeling is super reciprocated in the front office it's very much present in the locker room with how the players revere him but again if they bring him back on a quasi team friendly deal maybe two years that's not that good for him if he hits free agency then Maybe he hits a really good spot, but it also could be rough, you know, rough sledding for all these running backs in free agency. And I think he should be like a fourth round pick, probably. I think that's where we'd all say he should be. Yeah, I, I have him. Like, should we boost James Cook? Runner. Should we boost James Cook because he's such a good pick relative to the guys around him? Like, he's one of the guys. I'm like, I could, I could see how he beats me. He was really strong in the efficient efficiency metrics on the ground, whereas, like, like you said, Etienne was shockingly inefficient. In the advanced metrics, Rashad White less shocking, but also not efficient. Saquon feels like a bad pick. Pacheco, it's not terrible, but like I, I do not see a legendary season coming from this guy in the slightest. Like 
Cook is, is maybe not a slam dunk pick as far as like pure ADP versus what we expect from him. But like, I think he's, way, he's a way better pick than any of the running backs that go around him. Yeah, he's the least bad of them. And I think we'll probably be toying with the ranks as more drafting happens. Like, hey, if no one's ever getting running backs until the Najee Harris, Jalen Warren tier, that's something that has to be changed internally mm-hmm. to match that. But if we're seeing bad ADPs, I think our primary goal is to point those out and say, we think this is inefficient. Yeah, Cook Cook comes... I mean, the efficiency for him is very good. Um, and it is a bit binary with him, where, like, if he just gets goal line work, he's going to be... He's going to crush. So, actually, I'm fine moving him up. I'm, I think I'm just going to go ahead and move him up. Um, where where would you guys... Where Like, if I put him, let's say, at, like, 31 or 32 in the pure rank would that be too high now yeah no sorry <laughs> earlier we were talking yeah, about yeah. you know who would we take over dk metcalf because initially we had him a bit higher and trying to like bring that more down to earth i'd probably take james cook ahead of dk metcalf and i really like yeah. the market isn't forcing my hand there yeah okay so the what you're looking at it will not be what you're looking at when these launch because we're moving james cook up uh he comes out at pick 32 now. So we're going to have a bull stand. So Jay, I like, I like that. Like he's, I feel good about in, in the efficiency stuff that I have, he comes out pretty strong as a rusher and receiver. And it's really just a matter of the goal line work, which obviously he's particularly uh, in trouble there because Josh Allen steals so much. Um, and then they just spent a whole season giving it to like anybody but him. <laughs> so it probably he probably doesn't get there, but I think he can like he can pay off this ADP. He can come close to paying off the ADP. Yeah, he can it. he can survive. He can survive. Like imagine he can survive. Him, especially think about how last year played out where this ended up being a terrible range for wide receivers and and running backs too. Like he can just pay off by being a efficient runner, an efficient pass catcher and having some touchdowns. He doesn't need a lot. He can survive it. It's probably one where you're like, eh, there was a breakout receiver I missed out on. Or, oh, oh, Josh Allen turned in, or uh, you, Mahomes turned in a, a rebound season. But like, the bad outcomes for him are probably okay. They're probably fine. Yeah. Uh, and the good outcomes for him, like you said, are incredible. So he feels like a very big, uh, small loss, but potential for a massive win type of bet. Yeah, and we mentioned the Josh Allen goal line as an issue, and I think that's the only major non comp with looking at how ETN was perceived last year on the Jaguars and James Cook this year with the if they can get the goal line work there's going to be such a path to the legendary season existing in their range of outcomes and ETN was someone that we were pretty aggressive on at first in the late third then especially as he fell to the fourth and James Cook opens in the early fourth I think he will get into the third so he's someone that I would really be aggressive with now as a clear talent buy yeah, 1.22 yards per hour run as a rookie, 1.38 last year for James Cook. Those are pretty good numbers. They're not like off the charts, but when you pair that with really strong rushing efficiency last year, um, including, by the way, a really good success rate, which makes me a little bit more bullish about the idea that he could get some work around the goal line because success rate is like you're doing what you're supposed to do. You're hitting the right hole. You're not trying to bounce everything outside, right? Those are players that, even if they're undersized, might be pretty good around the goal line. Like, give this dude a chance at the goal line, and maybe he actually surprises 
Um, and, you know, is able to earn a bit more of that work. And it is, it's so binary. Like if he's just used at the goal line, like this dude could absolutely be like a week in, week out, like locked in starter in fantasy. It's just like, we're all basically just going to argue about like how likely <laughs> that is. Um, any thoughts on ETN? I mean, we are, I would say of the, the bear stances, this one makes me the most uncomfortable, but he did, he kind of struggled in some of the advanced rushing stats last year um, after looking like a really strong rusher before that. I mean, he had minus 77 rush yards over expected last year. Uh, so he was he was quite inefficient as a rusher. That that was behind Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, it was behind DeAndre Swift, behind A.J. Dillon, uh, behind Tyler Algier, Miles Sanders. I mean, some of this because he totaled a lot of carries and then it was bad. Um, but his rush yards over expected was minus uh, 0.29 which is also pretty bad. So that's like, I mean, again, that's also behind Swift. That's behind where Eckler was last year. That's behind Alexander Madison. Um, I don't think people realize like how inefficient he was as a rusher because he scored 11 touchdowns as a rusher. Yeah, it's a stance that I fully understand, think I will probably have in my portfolio if he stays in the mid third, but it's, I think, more uncomfortable than Rashad White and Isaiah Pacheco, who profile as such typical dead zone backs that I'm comfortable fading year in and year out. Yeah, I'll probably move him up a few spots just because it's like, he doesn't strike me as like a mega fade candidate. It's just that the market got really bullish on him after bearish info is kind of how I view it. And that makes it hard to stay close to the market. We do have evidence that he's a good rusher Latin last year, two years ago now, was two years very ago, strong pretty good. in the advanced stuff. So, like, I don't say last year could have been a blip, but the answer is probably somewhere in between. Like, we should weight more data more heavily, but we shouldn't take it as gospel that last year is who he is. So, I still think I'm going to end up having less than the field on him, but I, I agree with you guys that, like, maybe not a mega fade candidate. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to move him up uh, a bit. Um, okay. So let's move to a few of the other big fade positions. Um, let's see. So we kind of talked to this group of running backs. The easiest thing is to go, go look at more running backs. I mean, we're low on, um, I would say, the running backs with uncertain futures generally. Uh, we're not low on Aaron Jones, who is kind of fits that older running back who could fall off. But we are low on guys where we don't know where they're going to play next year. Josh Jacobs, Alvin Kamara is a cut candidate. They they are in salary cap hell. Um, maybe they they're going to clear cap space by restructuring Carr, and maybe they use that to, to keep Kamara. Um, probably better uses of that cap space. But Kamara was actually pretty solid last year. Uh, Derrick Henry, free agent. Austin Eckler, cut candidate. Um, Nick Eckler's Chubb. A, sorry to correct, actually, Eckler's. Eckler's a free agent. And oh, he's a free agent. You're right. He's sorry. done in LA. Yeah. Sorry. He's he's a free agent. Joe Mixon, cut candidate, but I think a fairly, you know, they can, he could take a pay cut and he's only making, I think, like eight mil. So I think he's somewhat likely to stay in Cincinnati and we're not low on him. Um, Nick Chubb, we are low on primarily because of the injury stuff. But thoughts on this? group of running backs we're we're generally low on 
Yeah, I mean, like you said, the the pretty common characteristics among all of them where we don't know where they'll be playing next year. Some more confident, some we truly have zero idea. Uh, like none of them coming off of like anything close to their best seasons. Like Derek Henry was good last year, but he probably wasn't like, I mean, he definitely was not peak Derek Henry. Austin Eckler's fall off as a runner just seemed to continue and exacerbate last year. Uh, Nick Chubb is, is just injury related, obviously, but there is contract stuff that gets folded into that as well. Like another one where I, you look at the archetype players, these are, and it's generally been winning bets you can maybe quibble with like, oh, Aaron Jones was efficient last year, or I think so and so's got a better projection in terms. Well, of you don't have to quibble with us there. We 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 are acknowledged. Yeah. Aaron Jones is under contract yep. with Green Bay. AJ Dillon's a free agent, and he was good last year. We're four point six spots ahead of ADP. We don't yep. hate all old running backs. We're willing <laughs> to take them if the price is right. Yep. This I think is a reasonable price for Aaron Jones, especially because we feel pretty good about the offense. This offense is actually kind of exciting now. Yeah, and um, I think AJ Dillon's a free agent too, if I remember. Yes, yeah, AJ Dillon's a free agent. So like, yeah. it's kind of all Jones. lines up for him. Like, you're just kind of sweating the fact that he's old and can't stay healthy, but he still seems good. He's still under contract. The offense seems good. He checks a lot of the boxes that the guys who are in this range in our rankings check almost none of. Like, and that's obviously why he's the one guy in this cohort who we actually like. Yeah, Tony Pollard would be, to me, the most confounding of these guys. Um, because he was so bad last year, the situation broke perfectly. And I don't know that I would want Tony Pollard in the current situation at this ADP at 74.5. Like, if you just told me they franchise tagged him again, shockingly, like, I don't know that I would take him. Like, I guess I probably should because it's like I'm getting so many touches at the end of the seventh round or whatever, um, then or the end of the sixth round, then yeah. you know I can I can use that I can use uh, like is an advanced rate kind of piece just to help me fill out my running back room. Take some I, I'll go maybe more aggressive with some of my running back breakout bets later. Yeah, but, but that hasn't you- happened. He's he potentially isn't in Dallas. Like I don't understand. Yeah. And importantly, won't be in Dallas in the situation where they want him to assume the carries because they just watched a season of Tony Pollard assuming all the workload and they are going to find better options or just bring in competition because there's no chance they're giving him anything more than $4 million to come in to be part of that group. And if Tony Pollard's on the open market at this stage of his career, I struggle to see a team being willing to give him the opportunity to step into a lead workload. He could be a committee back and his ADP would then correct and then he might be an interesting pick. But this ADP does not reflect that world. Would you guys be shocked if he like went full Damian Harris and would just like signed a, a cheap contract? We assumed he was the number two and then we basically forgot he existed by the end of 2023, by the end of 2024, sorry. No. Surprised, yes, but like stunned? No. Like, uh, you know, James Robinson's another great example of a guy who's really good early in his career. It went quicker. The snap happened quicker, but like, it's really good early and the injuries just caught up to him. Like, the position is just physically brutal. So, no, not shocked. 2025 DC Defenders, most valuable player, Tony Pollard. Yeah. Yeah, 
I mean, obviously that's not the most likely outcome, but I do, I just, it's like, it's a lot of risk and not a ton of upside. I don't think with Tony Pollard right here. Like once, I, I once think we the, see the bull case out. is that he was hurt last year. What did he suffer? Yeah. Like a high ankle sprain and a fractured ankle. I maybe am butchering that. Uh, no, honestly. I think he did have a fractured ankle that he was coming back from. And I believe that it was also a high ankle sprain. Not that that one like that should be resolved by then, but like serious, serious injury. And he started to look better down the stretch, but like he was nowhere near our hero, Tony Pollard that we knew. It no. was just, he was a little better. If you carry that sort of trend line back to another off season removed from the injury and he comes back, his expected points last year were great. His domination of the backfield was great, especially when you throw out garbage time, of which Dallas had a lot of, in a, a number of different ways they got to garbage time. If he comes back as some semblance of old Tony Pollard in this role, he crushes. But like that's a bet that not a, a lot of running backs are able to make. Like It's not like we see this a, a ton of times. Like Guys at, at the running back position, typically when we see them fall off, there's no late career revival. Yeah, and I would, I would say you know if if the Cowboys give him another contract, if they're like confident, you know, if if everything breaks right, then we'll still probably be behind market because I think this ADP kind of reflects that outcome already. But mm -hmm. you know, at that point, then I would start to feel more open to the idea that it was just injury related. Like the team that saw it all go down feels confident that there's more there. You know, if they don't feel confident, I'm worried the rest of the league is not going to feel confident. And then there's like a lot of downside. So this rank could be really off and we could be far too low on Tony Pollard. But I think like we'll get additional bullish information. And it's one where I'm willing to miss out in this tournament and then maybe get some more Tony Pollard late, mm -hmm. later on with the idea that I think the floor here is really low. Like this, this is a guy who got his shot and and bombed, and and that doesn't generally work out very well when when you're a free agent the year after that happens. Um, a couple more uh, before we get to rookie conversation. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I did want to talk about other guys who are, are free agents that I don't think people are like fully baking in. DeAndre Swift is one. Swift is a free agent, I believe, and. Uh, was bad this past year. So he's, he's I think, a fairly easy fade. Thoughts on him? I mean, you laid it out. Like, he didn't add a ton to this team, especially down the stretch. Like, he popped early, but, like, it's very clear that he wasn't adding a ton that they couldn't get from other players. Like, we saw we saw how they elevated Miles Sanders, right? Sanders looked pretty good in this system. And then he leaves, and are like, oh, it's clearly he was gaining a lot and actually wasn't offering that much. My bet is that Swift is the same kind of guy. I don't know how much they even care to bring that kind of guy back. If they did bring him back, would we draft him? A, where would you, if we knew he was on the roster, he was locked in 20 million and it was all guaranteed. There's no way to get rid of him. I'd maybe have him like six running back spots higher. He'd be a fine pick, but like they'd still be a candidate to draft a running back. They still be a candidate to give Kenny Gainwell more work. Like, yeah, locked in. I think maybe David more like feels in, like in the fair, late eighties. Yeah, yeah. around David Montgomery, yeah. That's not that much higher than where he's at right now, in which I think he's a dog to return to this roster. Kind of a big dog to return and to the this market, roster. 
absolutely not factoring that in because they just saw DeAndre Swift in an Eagles uniform last year. So why would DeAndre Swift not be in an Eagles uniform the next year? And I think the market right. generally tends to overvalue the situation that we saw last year, especially when we know these are changing situations with free agents. And he was a guy that his team fully gave up on. They traded, what, a day three pick for him. He is an unrestricted free agent after the year. I mean, this is a kind of classic guy who we always forget about, like, how many how many players, like, we've completely wiped from our brains. And DeAndre Swift is a candidate to be someone we, like, completely forget about after, after this coming year. So, again, <clears throat> that may not happen, and hopefully it doesn't, but it's it's a real risk. Um, and I think one reason to, to be okay missing out on like, like I'd rather miss out on DeAndre Swift resigning with the Eagles, getting a little bit of a discount there. Uh, I, I missed out on that discount. That's fine to me because I don't think Swift's that good. So like, what's he even going to, is he going to bury me? Cause I didn't get, you know, pick 100 DeAndre Swift. Like, I, I don't think he is. I'm willing yeah. to make that bet that he won't. And then- um, just two spots lower, we have TJ Hawkinson, another player where given his multi-ligament tear and an ACL surgery that he had six days ago, it is almost certain that he'll be on the pup list missing the first half of the year. And just like we saw with Kyler Murray last year, when we have the information, it's not telegraphed, but there are some signs telling us TJ Hawkinson's probably missing most of this year though he will be back in the important weeks, which is ultimately the highest consideration. But with Kyler Murray, he went from a 12th or 13th round pick to in the final week of Best Ball Mania, fully undrafted, despite the situation not actually changing. It seems that we can be on a similar trajectory with TJ Hawkinson. So we made the decision that for a portfolio approach, it seems advisable to want to fade him in the top 100 as you'll probably be, you'll almost certainly be able to get cheaper or equal price Hawkinson in the future. Once already known facts become sort of like unavoidable to look at, that's all that's going to happen. It's not new information. We're not even like speculating, like things that like the injury timeline that experts are putting out there basically like occurs, <laughs> then, then his price will drop, we think. Um, some other cut candidates, Mike Williams is a cut candidate. We're well below ADP on him. Um, we are, uh, let's see who's, there's another one I just had James Connor. We're lower on, uh, he's a cut candidate. He's probably there, but you know, the age is also a concern as well. Um, Nick Chubb, I'll mention could be cut. Probably not. That would be, that would be such a bad locker room. Yeah, it'd be yeah. such a bad look. But he he's not protected by the contract in addition to the injury. I, I agree, though. I think he's probably there. Um, one guy, before we move to the rookies, and maybe a good little transition to the rookies. Oh, Devin Singletary is a free agent, by the way. So before we get too excited about you know what he did with the Texans, he might not be there. Um, but kind of transitioning to the rookies here, Jackson Smith and Jigba were behind ADP on fairly significantly. Did not have an efficient rookie season. Uh, struggled to kind of earn like a regular kind of traditional wide receiver role early in the year. Got there by the end of the year. Um, but, you know, there are, I think, some reasons to be bullish. Tyler Lockett probably gone. Um, and so then he assumes the number two role there. Uh, maybe they are a little bit more pass heavy, potentially, depending on who they hire as their OC. 
But we got a guy uh, who had 1.32 yards per route run, I think kind of brought additional concern to the table in terms of the archetype where he had a 6.4 a dot 69% of his snaps were out of the slot not like the highest upside profile quarterback uncertainty potentially like he could have a rookie quarterback down the stretch was which obviously is not ideal or he could have Gino but Gino's not like a star so I think a little bit of, of concern there like some real red flags and he's basically going where he went last year and I think one of the big things for me is, uh, I mean, his, his ADP is, is 58.7. Like, it's like the same ADP as last season. Uh, with rookies, we get this late season boost that's sort of built in where we can really expect that the teams are are auditioning them, seeing what they have, like they did with Jackson Smith and Jigbo at the end of last season. Um, we're very likely to get that boost. Even if they ultimately go down as a bust, they can still you know, deliver that late season production for us. Second year players aren't really necessarily going to do that. They're kind of going to be more what they are the whole year. So um, I, I, it's odd to me that his ADP is where it was last year, given, you know, not a reason that we need to give up on him, but the rookie season wasn't that good. Yeah, I fully agree. I think his ADP is off by 15 to 20 picks, which in the top 100 is something that is absolutely worth. The one issue is we're discussing pre-show. We think his ADP is not really likely to come in our favor as much as some of the others because a lot of the like second-year bull or wide receiver frenzy for the young players, like Tim Robinson, me, we're all trying to find the guy who did this with Sky Moore last year. And some of those players, it's like you're looking at them. But JSN did nothing to make us believe he has a better range of outcomes on February 4th, 2024 than we had on August 28th, 2023. And the market is saying, oh, it's probably a pretty similar bet when we think it is a meaningfully worse bet. Not a bet that is worth making 0% of the time, but at cost, one that we want to make far less than the market is giving us. Yeah. Um yeah, and so let me just, I'm still showing Swift on the screen here. But yeah, Jackson's been the Jigba. We have at pick 65. He's going at pick 59. You'll you'll see him fall to you with, with these rankings. You will not get zero JSN. We're not making a hard stance. You can't draft him. We're just, you know, feeling like he is overpriced. Let's get to some of the rookies. We're going to do this quickly. Uh, we've already gone a while here. And we're about to have a lot of rookie coverage on this channel, on the site. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be doing a, a podcast shortly with Davis Maddock and Jacob Sanderson on Dynasty stuff. We're going to talk rookies uh, with those guys um, a, a lot this offseason. So there will be plenty of rookie discussion, so we can do this fairly quickly. Um, we're even on Marvin Harrison. We're slightly ahead on Malik Neighbors. Um, we're even on Roma Dunze. We're slightly ahead on Brian Thomas. I think Brock Bowers is somewhat significantly underrated. Although I will say that the tight end market has me not hammering him. Um, I think there's a lot of values at tight end, but I do think Brock Bowers is a, a fairly strong value. Um, Caleb Williams, we're ahead of ADP on. Uh, I think he's obviously a very good prospect. Going to very likely go number one. Um, 
not a bad landing spot to the Bears. Uh, Troy Franklin, uh, I would I would say we can stop here and talk about Troy Franklin and Jonathan Brooks are two guys that I am taking a lot of in these drafts. And then Keon Coleman is the first rookie we get to that we're not high on. So let's stop here and talk these three guys real quick. Um, Troy Franklin, I think, has a good chance to go at the late first. One of these guys who could have a really nice landing spot as a result. Um, he is, I think, I think he's going to test really well. I think he's really fast. Um, downfield guy, uh, four-year player, but productive. Um, so he's he's someone that I think uh, ultimately will end up moving up in ADP is one reason to be high on him. But I also think, you know, he's going to have draft capital behind him. Very likely to be a, a round two pick if he doesn't go in the first. Um, and again, could be a late first round pick in a great landing spot. Those guys tend to go more like sixth round, seventh round. So you're getting potentially a really big value on Troy, Fine, Troy Franklin. That's kind of what I feel like with Jonathan Brooks, where like whether or not I have a pretty high opinion of him, I think relative to the market. But even if you don't think about like the type of player that he is in terms of how the NFL is likely going to view him. Like, I think he's a pretty good bet to be a day two pick. He's probably a, a solid bet to be the top running back off the board. Does that player typically go where the ADP has him right now? Like, no, we hype that type of player up typically well before the draft, let alone after they find a landing spot. So one, I do think he's a good player, but even if you didn't, I think there's a very strong chance that is like, I think it's almost certain that his ADP climbs. Not only does it climb, I think it climbs significantly. I think Jonathan Brooks, yeah, is extremely undervalued. Now, he did tear his ACL, um, and that's one reason why I think maybe people are are a little bit less excited about him, obviously. But from what I'm seeing, it seems like he's still going to be a second-round pick. Um, it looks like it was a clean ACL tear. Uh, so, you know, we would expect him to be kind of hitting his stride. I believe he tore the ACL in – October or November, I can't remember. Um, so you're, you're, it's he's more of a late season bet than the typical rookie. But all of these guys are late season bets, you know. So like it's it robs you of part of the range of outcomes, and that's annoying. You know, he's not going to come in and immediately dominate. But Jonathan Brooks emerging down the stretch and absolutely crushing is kind of the bet in the first place. I don't think the ACL injury really like takes that away. And had he not torn the ACL, we're talking about a guy who I think is very, very likely to go in the second round. And we're talking about a guy that we normally take in like the fourth round of best ball drafts. You know? So I mean he has he's a good rusher. He has his good size. Like I mean, this is a really strong prospect. And the injury discount here seems kind of absurd. Like, pick 131. I, I, I think we should be taking this guy like in the seventh round, honestly. So, I mean, we're you know, maybe I'm like out over my skis with that, but we got him at pick 119, and I feel extremely confident that he's a good pick at pick 119. Like, extremely confident. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, go. Did you have something in? No. Sorry, I was had some stuff on some sophomore players, last year's rookies, but if there are any more rookies you want to dive into first, happy to talk about that. We'll just say Keon Coleman is one that this one could look bad if he like goes to the Chiefs or something, but I think a one of the 
few wide receivers in this class where I feel like genuinely kind of like, ah, <laughs> I'm not a huge fan. It kind of like doesn't get separation. Um, not a super polished receiver, but draft capital could be there for him. We may have to move off this take. Um, I would say in general, as we go through um, kind of, oh, I'll get to one other take, but in general, the running back class gets, it dries up quickly. I like Audric Estime a lot. Um, I think he's like kind of a fun downhill runner type, but you know, there's not a lot of running back depth in this class. There's a ton of wide receiver depth in this class. Um, you can kind of take, there's just like a lot of wide receivers that you can take. And I would recommend using those extra rounds in the big board. You, you know, they go 20 rounds instead of 18 to tack on some of these rookie wide receivers. I mean, there's big tiers here, big chunks of these wide receivers we have in the rankings. Um, Jermaine Burton, like very live, I think, to go second round. Looks like good day two. Um, bet Ricky Pearsall could like easily go in the second round. Kind of an arbitrage on Lad McConkey. Uh, Roman Wilson just had a really strong senior bowl. I mean, there's a lot of these guys. Some of these guys are going to end up as day three dudes and you're going to be bummed. So I would say spread it out a little bit. But I think you're going to end up Potentially, if, if you're really high overall on the wide receivers, the rookie wide receiver class, you're going to end up on guys who have like, you know, who go like pick 40 and you're going to have shares of them in the 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th round. Uh, it's it's a really interesting class that way. And yes, you are going to get guys who go in like the fifth round or the, even like the sixth round is where like, you know, you you will get burned a little, but I think largely you'll you'll be a winner if you take these guys and also, like, if a guy's a fourth-round pick, you know, or fifth-round pick, sometimes they surprise and get on the field at the end of the year anyway. So um, the cost is just really right on a lot of these uh, rookie wide receivers. And in general, not on everyone, but in general, we're, we're higher on uh, the rookie wide receivers relative to the veterans in these late rounds. Yeah. Last year, you had guys like Jonathan Mingo, Cedric Tillman, A.T. Perry, Tyler Scott, Marvin Mims available in the last round pretty readily and by outcome those weren't the best picks but if you were looking at adp mingo then went in the 11th or 12th round you had marvin mims get up to the 11th round in the end so you're going to be hitting some big wins at least in terms of adp but also in terms of possible production because you know draft capital can proceed production so yeah you might swing and miss but the veterans you're also going to swing and miss and they have far lower ceilings so one more rookie before we get to um, the the sophomore thoughts to close it out. Uh, Drake May, I think, is like wildly undervalued. Uh, I think you know you're seeing like uh, I I don't know if this is true as of today, but I was looking I was, I was watching a YouTube video um, with Dane Brugler from the Athletic, and he had flipped Drake May to his quarterback one. I think most people view it as a one A one B. Drake May is really big. He runs a bit, not like a, a pure rusher, but you know, if we're thinking of him, can he be like a Herbert? Yeah, it can be. He could be Herbert. Um, he's aggressive downfield. I think probably a lot more aggressive, like innately, than Herbert is a downfield passer. Very like had a really strong big time throw rate to on on uh, twenty plus yard throws. Really pop for me there. Uh, I think he's a very very strong 
fantasy quarterback prospect. He's got size, he's got some rushing ability, and he's willing to attack downfield. That's generally how, I mean, we'd love if he was like super fast and ran all the time. But outside of that, you know, this is kind of what we're looking for from guys who are going to produce fantasy points, can generate spike weeks. He's going to be the number two pick probably at worst. Um, if he goes number three to New England, maybe I reconsider the stance. But I just think he's a really, really strong pick. Like pick 160, like I, like that's just that's just way, way, way too low, I think. And he's one of the guys that we've actually raised the cap on in terms of what the ADP, like we're we're not allowing ADP to have as much of a say on Drake May. I just think he's he's just extremely undervalued. So he's he's boosted even beyond what most guys are. Um any thoughts, Daniel, on, on some of the sophomore stuff to, before we get out of here? Yeah, to try and close us out after Pat you know, waxed poetic about a few promising players. I have three players who I think are like firmly do not draft players that our rankings are communicating as well. If we look firstly at rookie year running backs, third round picks, fewer than 400 rushing yards in their rookie season, team invests a lot and they get next to no production from them. We have, in the past 10 or so years, Kendra Miller, Tank Bigsby, Tyrion Davis-Price, Trey Sermon, Keyshawn Vaughn, Lynn Bowden, Darrington Evans, Daryl Henderson, Damian Harris, Deonta Foreman, James Conner, CJ Proceis, Kenyon Drake, Tevin Coleman, Duke Johnson, Dre Archer, Charles Sims. An awful cohort to be placed in. And James Conner, that was a nice name. Yeah, if the team and, committed to one of these guys, you'd be interested. Yeah, if Alvin Kamara said, I'm holding out next year, and Jamal Williams also wasn't there, I'd be interested in Kendra Miller. But we don't have those exceptions, so that's a bad forest to be looking for the hits in. So I would not be taking Kendra Miller, even with the Kamara cut risk. I think these players are bad. If Kamara gets cut, I'll probably reconsider because then we have the like, meaningful situation outlier. But until we have that, I don't want to project it. Then at wide receiver, there are two when we're looking at second round picks that started or played at least 10 games, fewer than 500 receiving yards in their rookie year. From this year, we had John Mechie, Marvin Mims, and Jonathan Mingo. And this list is Sky Moore, Tyquan Thornton, D. Eskridge, Rondale Moore, Terrace Marshall, Van Jefferson, KJ Hamler, JJ Arcega Whiteside, Anthony Miller, Andy Isabella, James Washington. Dante Pettis, DJ Chark, Zay Jones, all from 2016 onward. So again, not a great group to be looking at. Mm -hmm. We were talking about Mims as a possible outlier with how unique his usage was. But again, there was probably something unique about almost every one of these very bad players. So Mingo, <laughs> I think, is a clear Come fade. On, man. Mims, I can <laughs> squint and justify taking, but I'd really like to just say, He's in a group of terrible players. I think my null hypothesis, he too is a terrible player. And, you know, like we pushed Sky more in this terrible player bucket into the ninth round because it was like, oh, well, he is Patrick Mahomes. And then with Marvin Mims, we're like, well, he's going to run so many routes this year. We didn't, we didn't chase him up into last year's like seventh round. I would like, I'd like, yeah, we're just in the for, for only being really, really, really wrong the first year and, and <laughs> partially wrong last year. <laughs> yeah, I think I think with Mims, like we have all these fancy memories of like how quote great he was, but like you have to sort of treat his season holistically, especially since there wasn't any sort of like catastrophic injury that plummeted his numbers. It was just his team continually deciding we shouldn't be putting him on the field that much. Yeah. 
And you look at his season holistically, just in terms of like raw production, he looks like Trey Palmer, Trey Tucker. Like he looks like guys who probably don't mm-hmm. go drafted and they probably don't come close to going drafted in all drafts. Like Trey, Trey Tucker is literally, I think our last player in 240 players ranked. Like if you zoom out far enough, you don't have to zoom out that far, frankly, those are the guys he looks like. And that's probably what you should treat them like. Yeah. Yeah. It's never a great sign when you're like, oh, sweet. Marvin Mims just caught something. And then you're like, oh, wait, that's little Jordan Humphrey. That's, that's <laughs> not, that's not Brandon, super bullish for Brandon Johnson. Brandon Johnson. Yeah. I mean, the, the guys they were playing over Mims are not, I mean, it's just a bad sign. Um, I want to be, I want to be back in on Mims. Mims, I thought was so exciting early in the season on limited routes. But yeah, it's given the quarterback uncertainty there as well. Um, it's just it's not a not a bet that makes a ton of sense right now. As much as I would like to go against what is prudent and, and draft them anyway, we we are uh, fairly significantly below ADP. We've got him at pick one sixty one. His ADP is one forty nine point four. But all right, I don't know why we closed on that. That's it's, we closed on Marvin Mims is dead to us. That's the worst possible way we could have been this podcast. New Year, thanks. <laughs> new Year, new new takes. Uh, my, my highest drafted wide receiver is now a fade. Great. I was gonna say, uh, folks, it's 2024. We think Najee's not a bad pick. Marvin Mims, junk ball. Don't put him on your team. New Year, <laughs> new us. Not not entirely. Brees Hall, baby. First round pick. Amen. We're, we're we're good on that. Um. All right. Thank you guys so much. We will see uh, everyone later with, as I mentioned, Dynasty content, rookie content, uh, and just more best ball content rolling out on the site. Enjoy your drafts. Good luck. See you next time.